I'd like to um, say on behalf of the church that we welcome Dr. Richard and Marilyn Schlitt amongst us. Both have been longtime friends and partners with us on many things to do with missions. They are leaders in the organization called Overseas Missions Fellowship and uh, have brought news and, and, and concerns and things that, that they see out uh, in the mission field and, and have taught us and, and shared with us many, many years from now. And we're glad that you can join us again and share God's words. Um, before we ask you to come up to speak, Jesse here will read the scripture reading from today's passage, which is from Mark. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Good morning. Very good to be with you this morning. Um, we weren't sure we are going to get to join you this time. We're in Canada. We're only in Canada for four months. We leave uh, in less than two weeks. Back to Hong Kong. This is the first time of the many years we've come to you that we're actually coming from Hong Kong, realizing that's the roots for many of you. So now we're understanding better where, where many of you are coming from. Uh, but we've been living in Hong Kong for the last almost three years with the responsibility with OMF, giving oversight onto mainland and, and that general region of, of the world. We, you're looking at a topic right now on earth as it is in heaven, which is a very big subject. <laughs> but as I understand, you're looking specifically at this area of, of social concern, which is a great topic, um, something that I've had to grapple with. Marilyn and I left 39 years ago, went to Asia. So coming out of Canada, which tends to most of the social things are looked after by the government. Yes, there's other things that, that we need to do, and it's the right Christian response. But as we moved into Asia, we spent 30 years in the Philippines, then six in Singapore before our last three in Hong Kong. And, and you're moving into a country where there's a lot of need. And so it made me process, made me have to think through, so what is Christian response 
to me. I remember one of my colleagues, um, part of our work in the Philippines was with tribal people in the southern Philippines. And one of my colleagues there um, saying to the tribal people, I didn't come to dig gardens and do farming. I came to teach God's word. Um, and that was his, you know, this is my piece, not another's. Thankfully, on his team was somebody else who did the social side of things because when you're dealing with people who are subsistence farmers and living in a forest that has disappeared, um, they have a lot of needs. So we're always grappling. And so I found myself going back to Scripture saying, where are the lines? How do I work out my Christian faith in regard to this issue of social need? And I was theologizing. I'm looking at different parts of Scripture. Jesus is, of course, the model for everything, and he's the model for this as well. I've seen people do what I have felt is misrepresent Jesus. Um, I, I've seen people talk about, well, okay, you, you need to do 50% social, 50% Bible teaching. And you get all kinds of very interesting configurations that um, I've seen. Here we find Jesus, Just this is just one verse in one story, but it kind of capsulates Jesus' life and ministry. This is Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in a synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So Jesus is he's moving about. He's got a teaching program. But as he moves about in his teaching program, he's also touching the needs. And, and much of the need that he was meeting was sickness. And, and he was healing. And you also find him driving out demons and, and raising the dead and, and other things that Jesus was involved in. So Jesus very much integrated these two, dealing with the social needs around him, but always bringing Bible, what we call the Bible teaching, but teaching about the kingdom of God. Um, the verse that we're taking our, our caption from, on earth as in heaven, comes from, of course, the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. On earth as in heaven. We also get a model of the early church. And I'll just take one example, but in, in the early part of Acts, um, Peter preaches his first sermon on Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, and 3,000 come to faith. And then you get to the next um, encounter and, and 5,000 come to faith. Church goes to 5,000. You find this, this growing number of believers as the preaching is going on. But then you get this interesting insight. Uh, this is speaking about the community of believers. There's no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. And they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone as they had need. So the, the community of believers, the church, had a way of dealing with need. What was happening is you had um, many returning diaspora Jews coming back to Jerusalem. Um, and if, as you go on in the stories of Acts, you find out that um, some of the ladies were being widowed. Um, us guys have to accept that often we're the first to go. Um, and, and the... So the wife would find herself a widow and maybe at a certain time the, the finances were used up. And so the church had an internal program to care for those with needs. And, and those who had resources were um, selling off lands and meeting needs. So that was just their particular approach to meeting needs. 
there's another one. I just want to do one more before we get into our Acts or uh, into our Mark passage. And this is um, the apostles as they go out, and you get an interesting insight in Galatians chapter two. So Paul, and at this point, is he's defending his apostleship. He's explaining his approach to ministry. Uh, he's defending himself against some heresies and also against some attacks. And he makes this, this comment as he reviews his own practice. He says, on the contrary, we saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. So you get a division of ministry, division of labor. Um, Paul is crossing the cultures. Peter and the other apostles are focusing in on Jews. So their own culture, even though they're spread around, not just in Jerusalem, but farther. And Paul is reaching out cross-culturally to the Gentiles. James and Peter and John, those who are reputed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. And when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. So this is their division of labor. But then you get this interesting statement. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So in, in the preaching programs, in the evangelization programs of the apostles in the early church, they saw that there was a need to reach physical, social needs. So that's just some of the general principles that we find in Scripture. I want to go into the Mark 1 and really dig a bit deeper into that story. And then I'll give you some examples of some of the things that we're involved in as we seek to live this out in, in East Asia. So what's happening in chapter 1? Jesus is just coming into his ministry. He's kind of stepped onto the stage in a sense. Um, he's had his baptism. He begins teaching. He begins preaching. Everybody's trying to figure out who is this guy. You know, he was an unknown carpenter's son. Sure, he, he does a nice carpentry job, I'm sure. But all of a sudden, this guy steps out and he begins to teach. And, and people are trying to figure this guy out. Um, the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to the evil spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region. So all of a sudden, this unknown person is stepping onto the, into the act, active world, and people are taking notice of him. Who is this guy? What is this guy? What's he up to? He's teaching, and he's performing miracles. He's driving out demons. Um, how come he's able to do that? Going on a little farther in that passage, it gives a specific incident where after Jesus had been teaching all day, then he came and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then in the evening, after sunset, the people brought Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So what's happening here is Jesus is just coming out. People are trying to figure out who he is. But boy, this guy has got power to heal. And so everybody comes and whatever aches and pains and concerns they have, they bring them to, the, to Peter's house where his mother-in-law has just been healed. And that evening is just an evening of healing. Um, demons are cast out. Interestingly, Jesus is not permitting them to speak. They know exactly who he is. And it's not that Jesus is hiding his identity. 
He doesn't want them to be the ones who say who he is. He wants the people to discover who he is. This is actually a principle of ministry. This principle of discovering who Jesus is. And as we present Jesus, we need to allow people to go through a discovery process to understand who Jesus is. Then what does Jesus do? He's had a very busy night. Way into the night, healing. And what does he do? Early next morning, Jesus gets up early while it's still dark. He got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he could pray. So under the, the pressure, I mean, everybody wanted him. Everybody wanted the healing he could bring. And they've got him up late at night, but Jesus knows that he himself must keep his routine in place. So while everybody else is still sleeping, he's up. And he goes and he spends time with the Father. He spends time praying. He needs to keep his spiritual equilibrium in the midst of busy ministry. And that's a principle we need to take note of. When, when we're involved in, in social concerns, it can so consume us. I've seen people lose their health. I've seen people cease to be able to continue on in their ministry because they gave themselves so wholly to it, they had nothing left and they had to withdraw. Jesus is also looking after his inner person because he knows that the, the social concerns will consume him and he's got to spend time with the Father. And then Simon comes looking for him. Hey, where Jesus, where are you? Everybody's looking for you. Uh, they look for him. <laughs> and when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. Hey, Jesus, back to the program. Back to healing. Everybody wants you. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. To a nearby village. So I can preach there also. That is why I've come. And what we find Jesus doing, everybody wants the healing. They want the driving of the demons. They want all the things that Jesus can do. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be consumed by that. Yes, I do that. That is part of bringing the kingdom of God. But he's saying, I will not be consumed by that. I've actually got a preaching ministry, and I'm going to do that. And he walks away from this very busy, very exciting ministry in, in, in his town, and he goes off to another town. He goes there to preach. And this is where you find the, the grappling with these issues of what, where do we ground ourselves? How do we balance? How do we find the balance that Jesus was able to find of doing the social needs, which we must do, which we're called to do, but keeping ourselves spiritually rooted and making sure that the teaching part comes in as well. And so we find that further in the story that we're looking at this morning. There's this statement, and I don't know if you've heard this statement. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words as, if necessary. Uh, if you've heard it, it's attributed to Francis of Assisi. And, and when I hear the statement made, what people are saying is, um, just do good words. doesn't actually matter. Uh, if you have to, sure, do, you, you can speak the words. But basically, do the good works, and the job's going to be done. Now, for those who may have used this and quoted it as uh, defense of a certain kind of ministry, actually, if we look in the fact checkers, actually misquote, <laughs> doesn't actually come from Francis Assisi, not, not in those words. And what Francis of Assisi was actually saying is make sure that there's a match between your words and your deeds. So what I want us to find this morning is where is that balance of 
the doing the social actions that we must do as Christians and speaking the words. Because words and deeds, and actually I left one out here just because I'm not focusing on it this morning. There's actually a third word that should win here. It's word, sign, and deed. Sign is the, the spiritual things, the healings, the things that only God can do. And in a fully orb ministry, you actually need all three. You need the word presented, you need God's intervention in things that only God can do, and then the actions that we can do that back it up. So, we find Jesus in Capernaum. The passage that was just read to, him, read to us a few days later, after this very busy time of ministry, and then Jesus walking away from the social ministry and going on to preaching. He's back home, back in Capernaum. And the people have heard he's home. Um, and by this time, this is still early in his ministry, but by this time, Jesus is already big news. Uh, hey, he's back in town. Let's, let's all get what we can get out of Jesus being back in town. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So you, you find Jesus, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. They all want what they can get from him. But Jesus' beginning point is, I have to make it understood. And, and what the passage that we read in, in Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, he went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. Jesus was always very careful that he did his explaining. He explained God's purposes. He explained God's word. Uh, and he wouldn't allow the, the people's interest in the social needs to supersede his privilege and right and need to explain. Um, so he's preaching to them. And some men came, bringing a paralytic carried by the four of them. We don't know anything about these men. We don't know their understanding of Jesus and his teaching. One of the things that's, that's very noteworthy as I read the Gospels is that Jesus' teaching was a teaching program. He, he went about, as he went from town to town teaching and preaching, he was building, he was progressively giving them insight as to who he was. People were observing, they were listening to his teaching, they were observing his actions, his healings, his driving out of demons, and they're going, who is this guy? How, how come? He teaches fantastic, not like our other teachers, but he's got all this ability. And what is happening is people are working through a process of understanding who Jesus is. And that process is a very normal process. We ourselves have gone through that process, but many of us were unaware of it, and if we grew up in Christian homes, it was a very natural thing to do. Those who have not had the exposure to Jesus go through this process quite, quite uh, differently. Um, I've talked to a number of people from the mainland. Um, sometimes I've talked to people who I thought were already believers, and I've said to them, um, you know, so when did you become a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, Christian, whatever word it is you use? And I've had some come back to me and say, well, I'm not. I'm still considering. And what they're doing, this is somewhat unique to mainland in, in my experience around East Asia, what they're doing is they're gathering data. They're looking, they're considering. And at a certain point they go, yep, this is right. And they place their trust in Christ. And this is what's happening to the whole nation in Jesus' time. Is Jesus is this very popular figure and everybody's trying to figure out who exactly is this guy. 
So here's four men. They've brought somebody to Jesus. We don't know what their understanding is. As far as we can see, their main focus is the physical need. They've got a friend. The friend's got a need. Jesus is here. Jesus can heal. Let's bring the friend to Jesus. And that's, that's honorable. That's good. Um, in fact, I would like to go further and say we should be following that example within the story. We should be bringing our friends to Jesus. We should be finding ways to bring our friends into engagement with Jesus. Be that through Bible study, be that through um, actions we do, but we should be very intentionally bringing our friends and our contacts to Jesus. It's interesting, these, these four friends, um, before they could bring a friend to Jesus, um, they had to go away. They, they could have very happily joined the crowd that morning. I mean, who wants to miss anything that Jesus is saying? That was the place to be. But for them to bring their friend to Jesus, they actually had to leave. I think that's noteworthy as well. We, we love to be in community with God's people. We should be in community with God's people. We must be in community with God's people. But there's times that we need to leave our comfort zones and go off to where the needy are and bring them to Jesus. So I think that's a, a very noteworthy part of the story. So social engagement requires giving up some of our privileges, some of the comforts, some of the things that we may want to do, even some of the, the good spiritual exercises that we have. Sometimes, for very intentional reasons, not just because we're looking for an escape from joining the Christian community, but sometimes for a very specific reason, we give up those rights to go and find the people that need to be brought to Jesus. When they got to him, um, since they could not get to him because of the crowd, made an opening in the roof above Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed that um, I keep switching the pictures of the hole in the roof. <laughs> um, this particular one comes from Africa, and I think it's the best of all. Some of the other ones that you might have noticed, let me just go back and see if I can catch the one just before here. That's got to be a Western drawing. <laughs> Yeah, looks like they took a hacksaw through a metal roof. Yeah, that is not the way it happened. <laughs> uh, I think this one's much more realistic. It was a mess. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, and and the roofs were probably um, made of packed dirt with straw in it, and, and maybe some um, straps of different kinds of wood to hold it tight. What's it going to be like being down below when somebody rips a roof open? That would have been an absolute mess. Uh, we, you know, those other pictures kind of make it so nice and neat. Um, it was disturbing. You wonder what, what, what went through the crowd. I mean, how would we feel this morning <laughs> if all of a sudden somebody started ripping a hole in the roof above us? It'd be totally disrupting. Um, any attention would be lost to what I'm saying up front. Uh, yeah, it'd be a disaster. That's what happened. They ripped that roof open, the mess came down, and then they let this guy down through the roof. So after digging through it, they lowered the mat of the paralyzed man was laying on. They were desperate. They believed that this man must get to Jesus. 
And they were willing to rip up some poor guy's roof. Always wonder about the owner of the house. Um, hopefully they helped him fix it after. <laughs> we don't know. Um, and, and get this guy to Jesus. Because to them, this was the most important thing that could be done. This guy needed Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, who, whose faith did Jesus see? It was the four men. We have no indication whether this paralytic had any faith at all. So Jesus saw the faith of these four men who went to get their friend, brought him, ripped the roof open, dropped him through the roof. When Jesus saw the faith of the four men, he turns to the paralytic now in front of him and says, your sins are forgiven. Now that must have been a shock to everybody. Because that is not the prime thing that was on the minds of these four men. The prime thing on their minds is, this guy needs healing. But you notice the priority that Jesus is taking. And we know the story well enough that we know he gets to the healing. But the first thing Jesus deals with is the spiritual side. And I believe we need to take note of that. Because... As much as we do, and, and in, in our experience, we do a lot of social work. Our years in the Philippines and up in the tribal, and we, we put in water systems. We, we would pipe water from a, a little spring and take it more than a kilometer into a village. We'd provide fresh water, and, and we taught agriculture to people who had lost their forest. They were food gatherers from the forest. The forest had been stripped out, so we taught them ways to do agriculture. and um, we, we, done, we did all kinds of things to meet people's needs. But if we didn't deal with the spiritual need, then all we accomplished was improve their health, extended their life, and those are good things. But if we did nothing about their spiritual need, then I believe we failed. And I'm going to say this very bluntly. What have we gained to send a healthy man to hell? Jesus was concerned for the spiritual, and in this case, he chose to deal with the spiritual ahead of the social. And so the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. The, the thing that is keeping this man from a relationship with God is not his paralysis. It's his sin. And Jesus is saying, I want this man to be restored in a relationship to the Father. And the only way he can be restored in a relationship to the Father is that the sin issue is dealt with. I'll deal with it, the health issue as well. But Jesus is saying, i got to deal with the sin issue. We need to take note of that in, in our social concerns. And th there's so many different contexts in which we work. There's some countries that we're working. I've been in, in the most restrictive countries in the world um, where we cannot initially give any testimony to our faith in Christ. There, there's no country I've been in, and I've been in many, um, there's no country I've been in where it is a problem for me to be a Christian. Or if I'm in a Muslim context, I prefer to call myself a follower of Jesus. It, it, it makes more sense. It uh, more helps explain who I actually am. That's never a problem. But there are, are countries that absolutely forbid us to share our Christian faith. So in those countries, we go into those countries and, and we look at what are the social needs, 
Uh, sometimes it's business engagement, sometimes it's um, health, a number of different things. And we'll go in and we'll address those things as followers of Jesus. I believe that's absolutely credible. But I say to our folks in these countries that are so restrictive, but still look for the opportunities. Even if the government is absolutely forbidding you to point anybody to Jesus, we must do that. That is integrity who we are. Part of our Christian faith says, I must share this good news. Jesus went to all the towns and villages sharing the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. So we, we go about, and maybe the country won't let me in if I'm not going to meet a social need. Fine, I will meet that, and I'll meet it with absolute integrity, with excellence. But I will also look for that opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel, to share the truth, to tell stories about Jesus, the one who is motivating me behind my actions. And now, what I will not do is on my first engagement and say, will you accept Jesus? I'd rather follow the pattern of Jesus. He went through quite a process of people discovering who he was. So as he healed, as he drove out demons, people go, who's this guy? Finally, remember in, in uh, Matthew chapter um, 16, and Jesus says to his disciples, so what are people saying? What's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus says, yes, you finally got it. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. But don't tell anybody. So even when the disciples finally understood who he was, Jesus is saying, it's not the time to speak quite that openly about who I am. That time will come. And that time did come after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus deals first with the sin issue. Um, not surprisingly, there's a reaction. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this man talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, that's actually an excellent question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the answer is nobody. So what conclusion does Jesus want them to draw? Who is he? He is God, the Son. That is why he has the right to forgive sins, which is something that only God do. So Jesus's, Jesus' practice was continually to stir their minds, to bend their minds, to make them think more deeply about these things until they were ready to make those discoveries. Oh, Jesus actually is the Son of God. Well, this, this group, particularly the teachers of the law, they were not quickly persuaded because their theology was so deeply rooted um, and just a little bit off that they could not accept who Jesus was. But the rest of the crowd is processing who Jesus is. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take up your mat and walk? Now, as far as the speaking of words, equal, <laughs> 
but Jesus has been very intentional in what he's done here. He could have started with the healing and then said your sins are forgiven and there would have been no way to validate the evidence that his sins were forgiven. So he started with your sins are forgiven. He started with the sin issue. He says, okay, now, as evidence that I do have the right to forgive sins, so that um, he, he said to the paralytic, um, take up your mat and walk. Sorry, let's read it back again. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, take up your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of all of them. So Jesus has dealt with the sin issue and confirmed it with the healing. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this before. So again, we're back to the crowd. And the crowd is processing what has happened. They're going, okay, some guys dropped the guy through the roof for healing. Jesus forgave his sins. Then he healed him. And so everybody's processing to try to understand what's going on. And this is Jesus' program. He, he needs to teach and he needs to meet needs. But as he meets the needs, he wants the meeting of needs to point towards who the Father is and who he is. So everybody's processing. Uh, if you take this same story, but in the Matthew version of the story, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. So people are trying to come to grips with what's going on here. Who is this guy? How come he's forgiving sins? Nice that he can heal us, but what's this about? And, and Jesus is keeping the two in balance, both the healing and the teaching. I'm going to give you just a few examples of some of the things that, that we're involved in and involved in in partnership. This actually comes from Mongolia. Um, we work in partnership there. I'm on the board of the Joint Christian Services. Um, Ulaanbaatar, the, the capital city of Mongolia, is the worst polluted in the world. Now, you might have heard about Beijing, and yes, they're really bad. There's something about way, the way the hills surround Ulaanbaatar, and, and it's got the old Soviet um, central coal burner that heats the whole town in all the hot water. It is toxic. It is, it is the worst in the world, is what I'm told. And the scientists come and study it, because they said, we could never put people in that condition, but seeing as they're in that condition, we can study to help. Um, so one of our folks came out, and he's looking for an improvement. He's a an environmental engineer. So he, he, they gather cardboard boxes and they soak them and shred them. So that's what you see in the bucket. And then he's built a press and you press these into bricks of cardboard and then they burn these for heat and apparently a whole lot cleaner than burning the coal. So just an example of one where we're trying to meet social needs. This is actually quite an integrated program because one of the issues in Mongolia is alcoholism. Um, Mongolia, which was under Russian uh, control for quite a number of years, has got a real alcohol problem. So one of the things they do for recovering alcoholics is try to give them work to do. And then we, there's another program that's run particularly for recovering alcoholics. 
again, just things that, that um, social needs that we believe we need to meet at the same time as we're pointing people to Jesus. A few years back, we had a particularly harsh winter in Mongolia. And in one particular area, they lost almost all their animals. And these people are subsistent animal herders. So um, we went in, you know, raised projects, went in and provided recovery animals for those people and got them back on their feet again. Um, Mongolians are really interesting. They, they are nomadic by nature. So as our folks go out and you know, do these social actions and share the good news of Jesus, when they become believers, they just off they go. Now they've got a message to share. And they go place to place. And, and the culture requires that as you travel, people let you into the home and, and they share the good news of Jesus. So it's quite, quite amazing the way they do it. Um, this is Laos. And I don't know if you know what those pictures are. Uh, the picture of the basket that's um, leaves with silkworms on it. So, so one of our folks has developed um, a business going right from teaching the people in the hills to grow the right leaves for the silkworms, raising silkworms, feeding the worms, spinning it into silk. Why do we do that? Yeah, it's a good business, but it also allows our folks to go meet with the farmers. Teach them the skills, but also teach them the good news of Jesus. And, and this is one, we've now turned this business over to a local person, but it, it, did, a, it did a great job of speaking needs, meeting needs, and bringing the good news. This is a school that was put up in the same country. It's an evening school, teaches English computer, some languages, to um, out-of-school adults. And it's designed so that during the teaching they can engage very deeply with people and bring the good news of Jesus. So these are just a few examples. I could, I could do example after example because, as I said, in countries where, in countries where we have full freedom, we spent 30 years in the Philippines. My visa was missionary visa, um, and so I had full freedom to do the Bible teaching, church planting. But I had to say, so what do I also need to do of social needs? Now we work in primarily in countries where you can't get a missionary visa. So you go in to meet the needs, but you also bring the good news of Jesus. And you bring these two together and keep it in, in some kind of a balance. On earth, as it is heaven, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of God's will on earth as in heaven is touching social needs but it's also bringing the good news of the kingdom so meeting meeting social needs I believe is an integral part of Christianity be that here in Canada be that the places that we move about in East Asia that's just part of integral Christianity the, the word part the explanation part is also essential. I, I do not. I believe we have short sold. I think we have been incomplete if we meet the social needs but don't give the explanation that points people to the king. For his kingdom to come, we must introduce the king. So we need to do that part as well. And then I believe all of us are called to find the balances. Where, where are the, the natural places to 
bring in the Word of God? Where are the social needs that we should meet? And I, as I've seen from your bulletin um, over this month, you, you've got a number of people coming and explaining some of the social needs that are being met um, in this greater Vancouver region. And that's fantastic. That's great. I believe we are called to, to pursue both and to ask God, okay, what, what needs should we be meeting? As we meet those, how do we bring the good news of Jesus into those contexts? And as we do that, then I think we can pray that prayer, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the Lord give us wisdom, courage, insight to meet needs to bring that good news of Jesus. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that somebody shared that good news with us, told us that there is a God, and that God loves us. And we're also grateful for all the way our lives have been touched because of Christian love. And Lord, now we stand in a place that you call us to do the same thing, to reach out touching in, in social need, also to bring that good news. And Father, help us to have eyes that are open, to see what is around us. Back into East Asia, back into Hong Kong, back into the mainland, back into for for Olmec, right across all of East Asia, and to understand what is your heart. How will your kingdom come in those places? How do we speak that good news of the kingdom? How do we demonstrate the kingdom? And then, Father, we do pray. Our, our, our deepest prayer is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>